So I've been looking at your content. I find that very interesting. And I want to talk about you as a creator and all this. But if you don't mind, like before we do that, I do have like sort of an icebreaker activity. It's a word association game. And the mechanics of this is that I'll tell you a word and then you tell me the first game that comes to mind. Are you comfortable doing that? Absolutely. Word number one is nostalgia. Oh, man. For nostalgia, I would probably have to say something like Super Mario Brothers 2. So I started gaming on NES a long while ago, and Super Mario 2 was probably one of those games that I spent a lot of time with, especially with family. So putting that in these days just takes me right back to those times when I was about maybe five or six. Next word is dull. Dull, I would say hands down would be something like Illusion of Gaia. Um, <laughs> I know this will probably get a little bit of hatred, but it's a game that I was really hopeful for in terms of how hyped up it was by other people. But at the end of the day, it had such a bad story in it that it was so dull to play through. And I had to play through it twice because I did it once for a live stream and then once for a Let's Play. So it was like pulling teeth getting through it the second time. Definitely a very dull experience. Next word is relaxing. I would have to say would go probably to something like Sim Tower. So that's something I used to play a lot when I was much younger. And just the whooshing of the elevators and the crowing of the birds and the hum of the people working in offices is something that I love to do just as a regular pastime. Like pull that out and build a couple of condos and call it a day. Next word is legendary. Well, it's a pretty big lead-in <laughs> to something like uh, The Legend of Zelda. Uh, you know, that was probably one of the game series that ignited my passion for gaming and kind of where I cut my teeth the most growing up. So The Legend of Zelda would probably be, in terms of my legacy as a gamer, the most legendary among many, I guess. Next is bitter. Well, the bitterness is something I have not felt more in a video game recently than replaying through something like King's Quest V. There's a whole section of that game that I had repressed apparently from my childhood playthrough of it where you're stuck in an underground labyrinth. And I remember getting there and just thinking, oh no, not this again. I had totally forgotten that that was even a thing. And the bitterness rose up within me quite a bit, having to maneuver my way back through that, that craziness. Next word is hypnotizing. Hmm. Maybe something like Golden Axe Warrior for the Master System. That's a game that is very Zelda-like in its qualities, its play style, and it kind of drew me in. Like, I couldn't stop playing it. It felt like I was in a trance while I was going back through that game again, just because of how similar it was to my experience walking around Hyrule when I was a little kid. So it was very much a holder of my attention, something I definitely had a hard time taking my eyes away from. Next word is inspired. I guess for inspiration, I've turned to games that have a relatively good story. I'm really inspired by stories and music and things like that. And in terms of games that have made me feel that way, I would honestly have to go for something like Wizards and Warriors 2, which is Iron Sword, which sounds crazy because it's such a a white knuckle game where you're kind of hoping that you don't die every five seconds and and that's not to say that i was not doing that of course but there's something about seeing other people play games that are hard and being able to make them through them yourselves that feels very inspiring to me knowing that i'm growing in my skill set as a gamer so that was pretty much one of my very biggest gaming accomplishments personally i would say even though i had to cheat a little to get through the end <laughs> next word is best Oh no, that's a hard qualifier because <laughs> then you're putting something right up on a pedestal above everything else. Mm. Um, I would like to say something like The Legend of Zelda for NES. That That's something that really rings true to me, but I think I've already talked a little bit about that. I'm going to twist this around a little bit and say maybe something like a best new experience has just been delving into games 
on the Sega Master System. I don't know if I can go broad like that, but just discovering a new system for the first time in my life, you know, as someone in my late 20s and diving into that library and just feeling such a connection with it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say the master system <laughs> because that to me has become one of my very perfect, wonderful things that I'm just head over heels for. And this is the last word, and it's hungry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an interesting one. Um, gosh, there's so many like food themed games. You know what? I'm gonna go with Great Grade for the Game Boy. Uh, an RPG. It's kind of turn-based, but you're kind of playing at the same time as the person that you're opposing in battle. So it's not quite menu-based, but it's action-based. It's it's a strange hybrid mix of a whole pile of different types of RPG styles. But every single place that you go to is food-themed. And people are food-themed. Enemies are food-themed. Everything in that game is packed with food for no good reason. It's something that has kind of environmental undertones, but then they take it in a really weird direction by making everything related to food. So it was just very, very interesting playing through that recently and getting to the land of spaghetti or to the land of sushi. And it kept my stomach grumbling the whole time. You really do know your your retro games, huh? I play through a lot of them. Yeah, um, I guess it's in part just due to having a game collection. Um, my husband and I have been collecting games for many years together. And so it's kind of blossomed the last few years to the point where, you know, I'm more of a console person. He's more of a PC person. So I've been really delving into libraries of games that I've never even known about and having the opportunity to play through them for the first time. So my breadth of knowledge and and play experience has just exploded over the last three years or so. Very interesting. You know, I've never ever heard about this game. Its name in Japanese is like vitamin kingdom story or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was a pleasant surprise it was a game i picked up as part of a game collection that i purchased from a friend of mine and it just kind of floored me that it was so much fun you know you get a big pile of games and you're looking through you're like i don't recognize that and then it ends up being so much fun and it was just a phenomenal experience you know and, and it was one of those very hardcore Game Boy RPGs where you want to bang your head up against the wall. But at the same time, it was fun and quirky and the music was good. And as an entire experience, it was just fantastic. I've been looking at your channel and I was really surprised to see some stuff in there in your style. But before that, if you don't mind, I would like to start from the beginning and I want to get a sense of, of your story as a gamer. Could you tell me about your first gaming memories? Well, my first gaming memories probably date back to when I was three or four years old. And the first console that my parents ever brought home was an NES. And I'm I'm about 33. I'm born in 86. So I think we got it around 1990 or so. And the very first game I ever can recall playing was Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And handing the controller off to my dad who ended up walking into the first Goomba, put it down, and never came back to it. <laughs> and that's the that's kind of where I got started off. And from there, ended up getting a couple of games for the NES that I played through a whole pile as a kid. And at some point, too, we also had a Commodore VIC-20. I don't remember. I think it came from my neighbor's. But I don't remember much about how it worked at that point. And even now, like, I've, I haven't gotten my hands on another one in a long while. But I spent a lot of time playing VIC-20 and also the NES when I was really young. And your father, you, you say he never came back, but did he ever come back to gaming? Did you ever game with your with your parents at all growing up? Not with my dad. I'm pretty sure that's where he drew his line, <laughs> which is funny. That was it. But my mom, on the other hand, she was very much involved in gaming with us, my my siblings and I, and she would sit down and play through not so much Mario 1, but definitely loved playing Mario 2 and especially Mario 3 when it came around. I have lots of memories just sitting around with, you know, a little treat from the store at nighttime 
when my dad had gone off to visit his mom or his dad or whatever, and we would just sit down as a family with my mom and just play through Mario 3. And that's one of my very favorite memories at this stage in life, looking back on that. You know, it, it was such a nice, simple time in my life. And there's often, I feel very often that I wish I could just go back to that, you know, but a less complicated time. <laughs> in that sense, how much is that related to the gaming aspect of it? I can give you an example. Like when I play games now, and it's probably tainted because of my profession, I don't play games the same way. Like I don't enjoy them the same way and I don't see the same things in games, especially when I go back to something like Super Mario Brothers. Like I, when I go, I see it from a very technical side, right? And I can see the brilliance of it. But when I was a kid, like I just enjoyed it in a very different, fuller kind of way. Like do you do you feel those kinds of feelings? I definitely do. Like I can say pretty honestly, I haven't delved much into super modern gaming. I focus mostly on retro stuff in general just because of collecting and, and what I actually have access to and what I had access to growing up. Um, but with older games, I find going back to them, there's that sense of nostalgia, of course, but there's also just the sense that you really got good at the games that you had when you were young. And I can pick up Mario 3 and I can play through it in a couple of hours with a couple of blunders along the way. But even I find new to me retro games, I struggle. And there's a little bit of a disconnect for me there as a gamer where I find I have such a hard time getting my head around controls, even on something as old as the Super Nintendo because it has a billion more buttons, you know, or but Mario 3, something like that that I'm familiar with. It does kind of hit the nostalgia chord. It does hit a familiarity chord that I just don't feel with other kinds of games, even new to me old games. I think it would be just the same for a lot of modern stuff as well. Um, I find a lot of the more modern stuff seems to try a lot harder to emulate the charm that was just innate in retro games, you know? So there's a little bit of something that I don't feel gets entirely recreated in retro-inspired new games that really drew me in and still continues to when I play retro games from that generation that were made for that generation. What do you think is the source of, of that retro charm that I think it stops around the time where 3D graphics start to become more prevalent in, in gaming? What do you think that is exactly, that charm? Well, I can't say much in terms of a technical standpoint because I have very like no experience whatsoever with with technical stuff but you know i feel like a lot of gaming was developed around the limitations of hardware at the time you know so when you see a sprite that has like a two frame run cycle you know it's it has a two frame run cycle because that's all they could do with it nowadays everything feels so so much more elaborate and almost lifelike even if it's still a pixelated thing, right? And I feel maybe some of that charm just comes from the simplicity of what people had to work with at the time and really trying to do as much as possible with that, but it's still just being a little less complex than what you get these days. Like I've played some some newer games that have a little bit more of a modern retro in style or retro style, I suppose. And their walk cycles have a billion frames. And it just kind of, it sounds crazy to get caught up on something like a walk cycle. But going back to those old games, you know, where your sprites just stand in place and they're still moving. You know, these days everybody is just kind of, it looks like they're breathing. Sprites back then didn't breathe. They just kind of danced in place, you know? So there's, it's very different trying to show, I guess, just normal activity for characters and people and games in old versus new media. And that charm for me is just the aesthetic of it. There's something about the aesthetic. I don't like a lot of modern graphics. I don't like playing a game where it looks like I'm looking into the face of the person that I have to kill now. <laughs> I'd rather it just be something a little bit disconnected, more simplistic, you know? I don't know. It's, it's very hard to qualify, but there's a whole bunch of things when I look at games that feel a lot more charming to me. And they're, almost, like you say, exclusively prior to the birth of 3D gaming. Yeah, I think that there's a um, quality 
that games had before because of that technical limitation. And I'm really glad you, you, you touched on that because I was also thinking about that. You know how a toy tickles your imagination, right? It, it just lends very well for you to clothe that experience in a way that the toy is just like a vehicle for your imagination, right? And I think video games back then did a lot of that. Yes, because of the technical limitation, and then you see something that is so very abstract, but done in a way that you know what it is. Like this thing you're saying about two-frame animation cycles. You see it, and it's charming to you, and it fits into this world, and then you just... And plus, like we were kids back then, that it just becomes in your mind, and while you're playing with the interaction, like the ultimate toy experience. Do you think it's some sort of a growing pain? You know, it's us, that generation that grew up gaming and then kind of like trying for video games to not be toys. So that is justified that you can keep playing it. And maybe that's why genre has changed. And, you know, around the mid 90s and became more about, you know, racing and and shooting. And, you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. And I think in a lot of ways, game developers have tried to keep up with their initial audience, you know, but you're right about the imagination piece. That's something that not only extends from graphics, but also going back to terrible things like a bad translation, right? When you're sitting there and you don't know, you know, what's going on, you have to put a lot of those pieces together yourself and, you know, imagine a story and what it could have been if somebody had been writing that had a little bit more of a feeling with with English, you know, or translation of of meaning versus just strictly words. And I think I think a big issue that I've run into with modern games is that they don't allow you to continue to use your imagination as much. And bringing it into something real, you know, if I want to go drive somewhere, I'll just get in my car and go as an adult. I don't feel like I need to sit in a souped up vehicle in a racing game to truly get that experience, you know? And I feel like they've brought it so far along with that initial generation that they kind of also miss out on new gamers that are coming into the hobby. And and maybe even for me, like getting back to retro so regularly, you know, like I play games a couple of times a week here and it kind of takes me back to a simpler time, right? And I kind of touched on that earlier too, where you're getting kind of teleported back to a place where you still do get to sit down and fill in gaps and, you know, use your imagination to paint yourself a picture of this, these people and this universe and this world that you're a part of. And modern gaming is so detached from that sentiment, I feel, in so many ways. And I mean, I don't game for a realistic experience. I game for good stories and good music and good characters that tell me a story you know i could pick up a book and have a very similar experience to that but i find that you're, you're absolutely right like modern gaming definitely steps quite far away from that time and that whole aspect of building the blocks yourself to have your own experience you know many people can have an experience with the game and it can be completely different it's like it's like reading a story it's the same same thing where you didn't game at all? Yeah, there was, well, a fairly lengthy period, I would say, when I was going to university and also graduate school as well. I just kind of took myself right out of it, almost out of necessity, just because it was such a habit for me to dive into games and to get lost in them. And I would get so far away from my studies at times that it just wasn't it wasn't boding well, you know, and it, it was really taking a big step back away from that. That helped me to keep my grades up and to do well in my career choice. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I would have these two weeks stints where, you know, in the exam periods where I just sit down and I would just blast out a whole bunch of Final Fantasy 12, you know, and I would just get it all out and then get back to it, you know, so so long periods with little intermittent bursts in between of no gaming. Absolutely. So it's not like you just quit gaming altogether. It's like you just didn't have the time to actually spend on them, right? Yeah. And I think pretty much during my entire life, I've always had an interest in gaming. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't at the forefront necessarily of my life at every single moment of it. But, you know, when I started a new job in my teens, just chatting with coworkers, I was talking with somebody about Super Nintendo and never owning one as a kid. And he offered me his for $5 with a couple of games. And I was 17 and thrilled for the first time in my life, I was able to actually own and play an SNES. And that was just something that was mind blowing. That was my one good score. You know, people always talk about the times before retro gaming collecting got out of control. And that was like the one big thing that I got my hands on in the times when people were scooping up all of the, you know, blockbuster going out of business and places selling off their older games. I missed all of that. <laughs> But this $5 Super Nintendo to me was awesome. I was so thrilled about it. So it was something that was always on my mind, just not necessarily at the forefront of my life at all times. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to piece this puzzle together, right? So you're telling me that you were a kid very early on, your family got an NES. And then I sort of just assumed that, you know, the next step would have been a Super Nintendo or the, the Genesis or whatever. But you're saying that you didn't get a Super Nintendo until you were, you know, of working age. So what happened after that, the, the NES era? Well, with NES, I, I had about maybe, I would say about maybe 10, 12 games that I had growing up. So we didn't have very many and we weren't the type of kids that borrowed from the neighbors and stuff like that. We, we kind of just had what we had. The only other consoles that I had growing up, we did get a Sega Genesis. So I had about six or seven games for that as a kid that I played incessantly. And I think when I was just in my early teens, my mom bought a Game Boy for me across the street from somebody that had, again, like five or six games. So for the majority of my life until I was around 16, apart from the VIC-20 and a couple of uh, shareware games on a PC that we had, stuff like Wolfenstein and Commander Keen, for example, um, that console experience was pretty restricted. And when I turned 16, that's when I got a PlayStation 2. <laughs> so it was kind of like I missed everything in between. And that's also part of my passion these days for collecting games is to fill in those gaps from all the generations of games that I missed out on entirely. You know, when, when you're growing up, especially back then in the 80s, early 90s, like video games still were, were seen as like something that was for kids. And, and I think it took a very special type of conditions for people to keep gaming. I remember this very, you know, you, you get to, to a certain age and then you were the one that was kind of like not, not left alone, but you know, you had a group of friends that the rest of the kids were doing like other cooler stuff, stuff that was seen as not being for kids because they were trying to, to be appealing to the other gender or whatever, stuff like that. And to me, it was just because I was very nerdy. I guess, and I didn't care about all that, that I, that I kept gaming. And then I, from a very early age, I, I wanted to pursue something related to video games as, as an adult. I sort of just like kept with it. Like what made you, you know, stay within the gaming sphere? Well, I can say as a kid, I can't really remember having a lot of friends that gamed. You know, I had a couple of couple of friends like a couple of neighbors who were always told to stay outside don't stay in the house during the summer days you have to go outside and play and then we'd sneak back in the house and play some sonic one on the genesis six pack or something like that but i know for me i was very much kind of a solo runner when i was younger like i had a couple of good friends here and there but we didn't game very much and and when we did it was mostly when i went to their houses and tried to you know, capitalize on what they had at their place that I did not necessarily. But it was very much for me, something that just continued on throughout my childhood, like other people played a lot of sports or did traveling with their families in the summers, my family stayed put quite a bit. So it was very much sitting down 
and playing these games throughout my childhood and into my adolescence and also into my current life. So there wasn't really a time where I felt like I outgrew them or they became childish or I was kind of scrutinized as an individual for liking video games. I never really ran into that very much at any any stage in life. Very interesting. So this was something like a private thing to you from the beginning, right? This, it never became part of your, I guess, your social identity. So it was just something like that is, you did by yourself. That's, I think that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I found myself like after my family kind of moved on and started doing their own things, I kind of stuck to gaming a lot more. Like I can remember my Game Boy and playing Link's Awakening, you know, by the kitchen window tethered to a wall because I didn't want to use batteries because my parents said, we're not giving you money for batteries. So I had the AC adapter and I, I just sit by the window and, and play Link's Awakening or I'd go play Faxanadu for NES. And that was one of my favorite games. I'd get lost in that world. I didn't beat it until I was an adult, but it was almost like a good escape for me. That's not to say that my childhood was terrible or miserable, but like some kids get lost in competitive sports or reading books. Gaming for me was kind of that outlet where I found myself going to pretty often and just getting lost in these worlds, these 8-bit worlds <laughs> that I was privy to at the time. And I could just wander around and try to find the next step. And for me, it was a very, very solitary experience, but also one that was very fulfilling because like I say, I always like a good story and feeling accomplished in older games is something I really clung to because that was something that really helped me to qualify a sense of I guess, success in some ways in my life, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so there are two things for you, right? The, the, uh, there's a story component. You like good stories. Then you like, you know, a sense of progress, right? A sense of this accomplishment that you get from gaming. And, it, and I think this is true for, for a lot of gamers, uh, gamers. Do you get these aesthetics? Do you get them from other stuff? Can you make a link between those feelings and, you know, reading books, you know, a novel or whatever, or a, or a movie, TV series, or stuff like that? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it's kind of something I've always struggled with. I've never really felt like an active player when I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book. And with games, I find you're involved in it. So it takes you a little bit further on a personal level. I'm the person who's seen maybe about a handful of movies that I can remember, right? I watch a movie and it comes in one ear and goes right out the other. I read books. I remember the ones from high school just fine, like ones that you would have studied because we spent a lot of time on them. But other novels, I have no concept of things that I've read. Games, on the other hand, they kind of stick to my soul in a way that other types of media just don't. I haven't ever quite been able to really qualify why that's the case. Maybe because it is an active participatory thing where you're playing through it and you get to experience it firsthand versus kind of watching it from a distance. But even some games are like that too, right? Where, you know, you're, you're very disconnected from the protagonist because you can't relate to them. And I'd say like the most relatable game I've ever played for me was probably Ultima 4. And that was a fairly recent experience. And it was something where for the very first time playing a game from the 1980s, I felt completely immersed <laughs> in a game and was able to just learn so much about myself from playing through something like that. So I don't get the same kinds of feelings of satisfaction or success or accomplishment from watching other things that I don't actively participate in. And I find I have a really hard time relating to characters and situations because I'm just such a, a quiet person. I don't go on these wild adventures like people do in movies. You know, I sit on my couch every Friday night and I play video games. <laughs> so it's like an entirely different world out there. And I even find movies that focus on games are all about gamers going on adventures. I'm not that gamer either. <laughs> so nothing really caters to me as a core of a person, I suppose, in those other types of media. I'd like it if there was something that I watched one day and said, hey, 
there that is. I can really get into that. I really like that. I feel different after watching that, but I've, I've yet to have that experience with the media. This is something that I keep saying, and I think that video games are, are unique because it is a media that is an evolution of, of all the others. In books, you can describe stuff, you can read it. So it's all about descriptions. And then in movies, again, you have, you have visuals and you have audio. And in games, what you have that is not present in any other you know, types of media is the interaction, right? Which is what, you, what you're saying. And interaction really lets you be an active part of it. That's why I always, like when I'm playing, especially modern games, I get the appeal of cutscenes. I get what people say when, when they're amazed by how cinematic a game is. And I'm like, well, sure, but how are we going to get this to the next step if we're just relying on the accomplishments of other media, right? I feel like interaction is, is sort of um, undervalued and we're not exploring what interaction can do in gaming and, and let you enlarge your experience. It's like when someone tells you they had an, an adventure, it can be very entertaining, but when you have the adventure, you don't have to be told the adventure. You just go and have it. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And and I think you've you've kind of hit that very well in the sense that you're not you're not really experiencing things in games with cutscenes and voice acting as a first person experience you know you're kind of on the back burner watching everything unfold before you so with the grand cinematography of new gaming you might as well just go watch a movie sometimes yeah <laughs> heard people complain about cutscenes that last for several minutes you know like i'm used to the rpg cutscene that you have to play through when you get smoked by the boss 50 times because they don't save you to after that point <laughs> you have to listen to their terrible speech a million times i find that annoying I can't imagine a game experience that's just packed with that and you can't get around it. It's required for exposition. I would rather walk around and talk to NPCs in a town and kind of gather my information that way rather than having it spewed at me either from an audio perspective or even from a visual perspective. I like exposition, but I find these days games hold your hand so much you can't really form your own opinions or thoughts or feel things out for yourself. You, you kind of get shoved into it and told to do things a very specific way. And it kind of takes away from things, in my opinion, anyway. But I, I vie for a time when things were a lot more tied to experiencing something on your own rather than being forced into an experience that somebody else has created for you. Let me say something. Like I'm listening to you. You have a really clear voice, really great opinion, very articulate. And when I'm looking at your channel, especially like when I was going back in your channel history, like I was looking at, you attempted to be like a streamer first. You weren't speaking at all, right? My very, very first set of videos on YouTube were, <laughs> you're right, it's um. A voiceless attempt at 100%ing Yoshi's Island. And <laughs> it's so funny, like looking back on it now, because that was a time when I wanted to really get a foothold and again, have that sense of accomplishment. My completionist mentality has come back quite a bit from those days. You'll see, I only got about maybe 13 or so stages in and then stopped. <laughs> but that was just me kind of playing through the game and trying to put up um, a series that somebody may or may not want to see. And it wasn't for a long while after that until I started finding my voice, you know, and so those were just that wasn't even streaming. That was just me sitting in my house playing through Yoshi's Island over and over again and taking the cut where I actually made it through the level. <laughs> I see. And yeah, and I don't know, it was kind of um a little bit of a nerves thing. I didn't necessarily have a lot of confidence at first, kind of getting into 
speaking while playing games, but you know, I do, I do live stream regularly now and I obviously make content on YouTube as well. So I've, I've found a little bit of a voice I'd say at this point, <laughs> taken a while, but I, I feel like I'm finally there. And what made you start your YouTube channel? Well, I think for me, what initially happened was I started collecting games and then I didn't have any sense of where to start playing them, you know, and I would look around at my room here and really feel overwhelmed by choice. I'd have no concept of what the heck am I going to do today? I don't know what to play. And I had been keeping a collecting blog as well. So kind of going through and chronicling, you know, going out to yard sales or going on, uh, we have Kijiji here. I'm not sure if you have that out on the West Coast, but getting into some classifieds hunting as well and just getting to find games and bring them home. And then I kind of hit a stopping point. Where am I going to go with this? And playing games and recording them for Yoshi's Island, it was something I was very familiar with. It was one of the very first games I bought off of eBay, actually, when I first got a credit card, because I was looking into games that were from the Mario series. And there that was, never heard of it. Let's bring it in. And putting that online, I, I think at the essence of it, I was trying to foster some kind of conversation about games. I was really at that point looking for other people with a common interest. Why I thought a voiceless Yoshi's Island playthrough might do that? That's a good question, but that's kind of where I started and kind of hope to build on from there, I guess. So one question is like, what made you start and then what made you, you know, continue and keep, you know, striving to, to get your content to a different place? Like, what was it about it that, that you like about making content? Well, I think it was a matter of just furthering that conversation and trying to find like-minded people that kind of enjoyed the same types of games that I did and starting out with YouTube specifically, it was just making videos of gameplay. I started my streams on Twitch and kind of wanted a means to not just waste a bunch of time playing games on Twitch every week, if that makes sense. You know, like it just goes into a void somewhere. You play a game, you hit end stream and off it goes. So kind of repurposing, playing through my collection to doing a second playthrough of a game on YouTube where I had a concept of where to go or what to do. You know, I don't like to watch a blind let's play of a game on YouTube if someone's just recording for the first time. If someone's live streaming and you can interact with them, that's one thing, but watching them struggle on a recorded let's play, I find is I have a little bit of a harder time watching that. And I guess in a way I was trying to find multiple avenues for the I, I don't want to refer to it as work because I definitely don't think it's work to stream. But the time that I was investing in streaming to repurpose that in a different way for Let's Plays, which eventually became game reviews and other kinds of videos where I could repurpose footage that I'd captured while live streaming or re-experience something in a Let's Play after I had gone through a game live, you know. So kind of broadening what I was bringing in terms of content was something that really helped me stay on track with making my way through my collection and playing my games, but also building community and just becoming more confident and forming opinions around games too. Because for a long while, like I mentioned my collecting blog, my collecting blog is still just a collecting blog. I've never written reviews there. I've always just talked about experiences and I used to watch these very great game reviewers, written reviewers that are still friends of mine. And they'd write these beautiful, eloquent pieces. And I didn't feel like I could convey as much in written form as I could in video form. You know, I can write a script and put video to it. And I feel like for me and my style, that kind of captures things a little bit more than just writing. So YouTube for me was a way to kind of extend on all the things I wanted to do in a blog but didn't feel like I could, you know, in a way that would be meaningful and, and good. So a couple of good reasons for, for jumping onto YouTube anyway. Yeah. So what I'm seeing is that I think it's intimately linked to, to your collecting habits. When did you start seriously collecting games? 
I'd say casually, I've done it my entire life, like mm -hmm. purchasing stuff here and there, but very much getting into it, probably starting around 2014, 2015, where I was really perusing, you know, I have, I have a house, I had a room in my house that I wanted to have just for gaming, because we don't have kids or anything, it's just the two of us here, but I had a space and I wanted to fill it with with game stuff and my partner is very much into old CRTs and he loves um you know technology from the 80s and getting the best retro look possible he's super into that so mm -hmm. our relationship kind of marries very well with our hobbies and looking for games and bringing them in really picked up when we got together that's kind of when we started we started dating I think 2014 somewhere in there and it just kind of blossomed from there we were both very passionate about that particular hobby and kind of came together on it and then I just went crazy you know he's he's been collecting some CRTs and some PC games and I filled a room full of console games <laughs> and that's kind of my my style I kind of go a little over the top with stuff that relates to collecting because it's such a good hobby are you going for a specific set of games like a full run of something or what are you going for? Well, it's so funny because I don't really have collecting goals. I feel like a lot of my collection is just filling in gaps of things that I've missed out on. You know, I have this huge GameCube collection. I have played one GameCube game. So eventually I'm hoping to get through more of those. Same thing with N64. PlayStation 1, I think the only RPGs I ever owned on PlayStation 1 were the Final Fantasy games. And now I have a bunch more. Master System is brand new to me. So I'm more trying to get a taste of the cream of the crop or the best of the best. I'm definitely not going for complete collections for any particular console. I have no interest in spending hundreds of dollars on individual games. So stuff like Turbo Graphics and Saturn collecting kind of takes a huge backseat. You know, so I might experience a couple of games on those consoles. And that's fine, you know, just to see what was available and what I've missed out on and to kind of get to the party. I feel like I'm still standing outside of the house. Everyone's in the party. They've been there their whole lives. <laughs> and I'm standing outside with my my potluck dinner ready to come in. And I'm just slowly inching toward the door, I still feel, because so many people have played so much more than I have at this point in their lives. It's so funny. What do, what do you find attractive about you know, collect I also have a collection. I'm, I'm actually looking at it, and, and uh, I, when I look at it, I, I feel this this satisfaction just looking at it. I don't feel the the actual necessity to to play the games. Um, I, I do play games, and and I love games. But there's something that I think that is unique about collecting that it doesn't necessarily overlap with gaming. Do you feel something like that, or do you just collect because of the gaming aspect of it? It's definitely for me anyway, more about the getting to experience the games part of collecting. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine, like I'm looking around my game room, I don't have a lot of shelf pieces. If you want to call my original NES box from when I was a kid that my parents kept at home that I took with me, <laughs> stole it, it's mine now. Um, that is a shelf piece to many people because it's in mint condition, it has all the parts all that sort of thing. But I never find myself looking at something and thinking, I really want that for my shelf. That just doesn't happen for me. If I'm looking at a game at a game swap or a game convention, it's because I've heard about it, or I've seen somebody else stream it, or I have some interest in the game and want to experience it more than anything else. Yeah, I don't know, like, for me, when uh, I'm collecting games, of course, I, I wouldn't buy a game that that I wouldn't play, but I I tend to have this, like for example, I, I want to get all the games in the Ace Attorney series, right? And I play them, but when I think about, you know, getting the set is not about, you know, playing them because I play them and then I can play them digitally or whatever, but there's something about having it, you know, that, that it represents something to me, you know, a lot of people say that game preservation kind of thing. Um, but to me, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But who am I preserving it for? It, to me, it's, it's filling a void. Maybe there's no void, but I created out of wanting it. But it just fills me personally. 
do you have do you have other intentions of preservation or is it just something that is you know for you um i think it's more just for me but to the right set of people it could seem like you know going back to the whole idea of feeling accomplished and i and i completely understand where you're coming from in terms of collecting ace attorney games and wanting to have that complete collection i feel that way to an extent about things like master system rpgs <laughs> which seems kind of random but stumbled into master system fell in love with the system i'm constantly prowling over listings and gameplay footage for things that were only released in the pal region and then trying to gather it all in like that's my obsession is master system want a whole master system collection i want to play games from that particular console and bring them in and have them on my shelf that's one thing i you know having to say one thing i'm super proud of in my collection that i i look at often and i kind of say huh i'm glad i have that it's definitely my master system rpgs hands down and you know you can you can say some of them are not true rpgs or whatever but just having a good sampling of games that bring you on an adventure from that particular console are really meaningful. And I think a lot of people that collect too, especially with gaming, it's such a solitary thing, or at least it was for a long time. Like nowadays, you have a YouTube channel, you can do collecting videos, you can show people what you found, people do pickups videos, and all that sorts of thing. It's become so much more of a social thing at this point. Not, I don't want to say people are bragging, because they're not, you know, if people are going through whatever they've picked up. I think it's truly just opening up a conversation and sharing in the joy of a hobby for a lot of people. Because people genuinely do get excited about finding games, whether you're going to put them on the shelf and feel proud of them or whether you're going to spend time playing them. And that's something that fosters a lot of good community. And at the end of the day, any hobby that you have, community is a very big part of that too. The thing that I liked the most about your channel was the uh, manual gaming series. I just found that was so interesting because you're going through the gaming, but you're exploring this this thing about you know having the box, reading the box, reading the manual. This is something that we've we've mentioned in the show sometimes, where like we play an old game and it's like uh, some stuff doesn't make any sense. But then if one of us has access or or we just look up the manual, you know some of the information is there and it's like oh okay. I think the older you go in games, I think that there's more of a that codependency that you're talking about in your videos like how does that series came to your mind i think it came to me initially watching other people play through games and struggle with them and i don't know a single retro gamer out there these days i can say that they haven't formed an opinion based on something that the angry video game nerd has kind of put out there and i remember i would watch his videos and i know he's a character and all that but once in a while you would see him just willfully neglect the manual. <laughs> and I'd say to myself, he would have such a much better time if he would just read the friggin' instructions. Like, why won't you take some time to just sit down and, and read? And that's been extended in watching people live stream these days too, where, you know, I've played a game as a kid and I've known it fairly well, I played through it. But then you see other people and they, are struggling so much and you have the answer for them, but they're playing blind. So you can't tell them could all just be resolved with taking a couple of minutes to read the manual. I still have conversations with friends and live streams that are struggling and I'm saying to them, haven't you considered? And they watch some of my, my stuff out there. They know I do this series. So it's always kind of like a little bit of a running joke, but I can say like those videos for me, as someone reading a manual and trying to play a game I've never played before, they're some of the most embarrassing videos for me to put together because I'm sitting there with my my hand on my head thinking, oh my God, 
This is so awful. <laughs> Who's going to want to watch me struggle through this? But generally, people seem to really like them. So I don't mind putting them out once in a while. When I find a game that I'm like, oh, maybe this would make for a good episode of that and sit down with it. Do you think that some of the charm that we were talking about earlier in this conversation, do you think it was lost because games are not this purely digital experience? Like, okay, so I do like digital games so don't get me wrong but you know there's something about having that game and you know reading a manual and having stuff off the game in the past that makes it a completely different experience from, from what it is now now as a developer you know as, as a developer i see that as a flaw in design yes yeah right i i, I see it as such if, if something if, the, if there's some information of, or, or some context that the game doesn't give you just by playing the game, I see it as a flaw, yes. But at the same time, when I'm looking at your videos about manual gaming, there's something that it feels more like an adventure, more like a, like, like a project that is, I, I find very, very attractive. But also, I don't think it would fly in the present. I, I, I think that it belongs to the, to, to the past and that it is great that it exists. But I don't think it should exist anymore. It got lost. I feel nostalgia for it. I feel like I need it in my life. But in 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 old stuff. But if it was in the in the present time, I would judge it very harshly. You know what I mean? Like that some stuff that we like. Maybe maybe you don't feel feel it. But some stuff that we like, we want it. We like it. But it should stay in the past. And new stuff should be different. Yep. And I think with manuals and supplementary game material, there's not as much of a need for it these days, like as much as I'd hate to say it, because people are taking so much more effort while developing games to insert everything that you need to know along the way. Do I like the way that a lot of those things are presented in games? Not so much, right? Like I don't like being forced through a tutorial or made to learn button combinations for things. But I agree with you. I don't feel like people these days would have the patience or the desire to sit down and have to connect comprehension from a manual and apply that in a game. That's definitely something that's a staple of the past. But I know I spent so much time in game manuals as a kid, just reading through, especially Zelda 1 or Mario 2, or even looking at Faxanadu, like going over those stories. I love the art. It kind of lent very well into all of the things that the game couldn't tell you, right? Going back to those limitations of the time. So that was also a very nice requirement, but also almost a feature of games back then. You got to kind of read a bit, get immersed in, in a world or a universe, and then jump into that game. These days, you can do it all in digital form. And I don't necessarily, like I say, I don't like that the tangible aspect of getting a game is gone. You know, you open up a case and it's a little a little thing in there, you know, or a code. Like, to me, it's asinine. <laughs> why, why do you want to just buy a code in a box? Physical collecting for people that are buying game codes in a box is, is it really physical collecting anymore? You know, you don't get a I have a hard time with that as somebody that really loves physical media. Um, but the manual for me anyway has always been like a key part of the experience. I never start a game without reading the manual. I can't imagine doing it. It's like learning how to drive without reading the instructions, having someone teach you. And a lot of games don't come with an instructor. So you're you're having to rely on some type of tutorial. What sort of opinions that you have, you being yourself a female gaming content creator, do you feel special? Do you feel it has been difficult for you? Do you think it's part of your content creator identity? I guess as a female, kind of putting content out on the internet, I haven't really gone out of my way to advertise that I'm a female. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I have a generic screen name. I never appear on camera. There's so much of my online persona that's just this disembodied voice that you're hearing right now. Like that's pretty much all people kind of get from me. And I feel like 
I've been exceptionally lucky out there in terms of just not getting the same rundown as other people have experienced, like just knowing other women that have been making videos and putting stuff out there. They get so much more, I guess, negativity or criticism. I've been pretty lucky. Like my channel is still really little. So maybe that's also a part of it. Maybe when it gets bigger, there might be more riffraff that wander in. But generally speaking, I wouldn't really say that being female has made made my approach to my channel or any of my content any different than it would be if I was male going into it. And I found that there's so few females out there that are doing this kind of thing. It does kind of lend well to, you know, making making closer relationships. Like I feel kind of closer to women that game that I've met online through streaming or through my channel than I do to some of the men that I've met. And I guess it's just kind of unifying around, you know, gaming culture <laughs> and the limitations that a lot of people seem to put up women are at the table. And that's just a general a general statement. Um, there, I, I'm still so surprised that women in gaming, still even a conversation that's being had at a lot of junctures, you know, and, and there's so many people that advocate for people in positions in gaming, whether it's development or, or art or whatever. And that's all fine and good. I'm also a big proponent of people having the good skills required for jobs, getting jobs in these fields too. You know, like you can't just shoehorn in a bunch of women and say, oh, the problem is fixed. You have to be pretty careful, you know, and, and really make sure that you're focusing on qualified individuals, whether they're male or female, in my opinion, anyway, should be irrelevant. But it is nice to see females out there making content in gaming. I just wish that it was an easier path for people that wanted to do that. And it's not only, you know, women versus men, it's also age of women. You don't see a lot of 40 or 50 year old women doing YouTube, you know, and there's lots of people that seem to kind of gatekeep around younger women coming in with opinions on games from older generations, which Again, I just find so silly. <laughs> like, you see young men doing that. Nobody says a thing. You see young women doing that. All of a sudden, everyone's up in arms. How could you know anything about those games? So, I don't know. There's still a pretty big disconnect societally when it comes to females in gaming. Personally, like I say, I haven't had any issues. I've had virtually no harassment online. Nobody's come close to giving me a hard time about anything I've been doing. I can't say the same for other people that I know. And that shocks me, honestly and truly. It, it really does. That It's still a problem in this day and age. Unreal. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. Uh, but, you know, back to you. I feel like part of the reason why, why your content is the way it is and also the reception that you've had has to do a lot with your, with your gaming background because you didn't have these conflicts growing up either, right? You did you never had these these experiences, you know, with other people or people telling you that should you shouldn't game because of X or Y or because you're you're you are a girl or anything like that. And and also your your content reflects that. Like your content seems to be very devoid of that aspect. And and maybe it's because you just don't show up. But also I like I see your content as a very matter of fact, no nonsense. Like and um you know, ideally, in principle, I agree with you. Like I think that if you are going to do something and, and be good at it, you know, your, your gender or socioeconomic position or ethnic background, like it shouldn't be relevant. The only thing that should matter is that thing that you're doing. In this case, you're creating content, so it shouldn't be relevant. And the, the part that I don't know how we are going to get to the next step, which is, you know, to have a healthier environment for females without having more females in the environment, but at the same time, how do we do that? And the only answer that I can find usually is that thing that you said, which is shoehorning more or recommending more or giving some sort of a preference to it. So you see a little bit of a conundrum we have here? 
Absolutely. I think it's very much a catch-22 because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you mm -hmm. don't, right? And you don't want to just bring people in because of what's in their pants necessarily. Sorry to put that so <laughs> bluntly, but that's great. You know, that's what a lot of people do. They say, well, we, and going back to an old Simpsons reference, we need more chicks on the bench, right? And you want to bring people in. But I think the key, honestly, is just normalizing it. You know, you don't go, like, I don't personally go into the gaming sphere and say, well, I'm a woman and therefore I deserve respect, right? I do deserve respect as a human being. I deserve as much respect as any male does coming into any field, right? I don't come into gaming with a resume. You know, I'm no more qualified to do what I'm doing than anybody else is out there necessarily. And and I and I don't say that to make light of people that go to school to do game design and stuff. I'm talking specifically as making videos on the internet. So when I when I see a lot of people kind of demanding a place or expecting a place just because they're a woman, it kind of kind of bothers me. It also bothers me that on the other side of the table, people are barring people because they're women. So there's these two very bold opposing forces that are knocking horns and there's no headway. If you just kind of normalize, you know, people in gaming, you know, you take the gender out of it. I think that's honestly the best way forward is just looking at people. What do they bring to the table? Right. And take gender out of it completely. I don't know. I find it's such a it's such a senseless roadblock in a community that should be so united. And like I said before, I'm still shocked that these kinds of problems even exist today because everybody deserves a chance to play games and to do what they want to do and just enjoy the hobby. It's all about enjoying it and kind of translating your experiences out into the world and having an audience if people so choose to listen. It shouldn't necessarily go back to, I guess, personalities or gender or or anything like that. And it's a shame that it's gotten to that point because I would love to just go to YouTube and just see videos from from whoever and, and watch them and, and not have to worry about undertones of of privilege and expectation from people based on where they're coming from, male or female. You know, I, I wish that a lot of that would come out of it because I, I watch this kind of stuff and I make this kind of stuff because I like the hobby and I like the games. I don't necessarily feel like I'm getting into it or putting it out there to make a point, right? I'm not a point maker. I'm just playing through my game collection and I happen to be doing it on the internet. That's kind of where my my agenda begins and ends. <laughs> Has nothing to do with with me being female or not. Do you mind if I ask you 10 questions? It's a quick questionnaire. I do this with all the guests and this is the like the ending mechanic. Are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. First question is a game you love. A game I love is Ultima 4. A game you hate. The Roadrunner for NES. Uh, Games-wise, what turns you on? A good soundtrack and a good story and good characters. What turns you off? Characters that are very surface level or don't have a lot of depth or backstory. A sound effect that you love. I like explosions in games. I really, really like the explosions in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the arcade game when you blow up an enemy. A sound effect that you hate? Anything really high-pitched. <laughs> Your favorite in-game power-up? I think maybe the leaf from Mario 3. A game character that you would like to be? Probably if I had to be one character for the rest of my life, it would just be the Nameless Warrior from Faxanadu, because I love that world. I want to be in it. A game character that you would not like to be? The lead character from Secret of Mana, because he got sent away from his family and friends and was forced into a terrible adventure all on his own. <laughs> That's kind of a sad time. And the last question is, imagine you could play any game 
real, imaginary, unreleased, whatever kind of game. What game would that be? I would love to play a game based on the movie Groundhog Day. <laughs> as silly as that might sound, I've always really loved that story and the idea of time resetting. I think it has a lot of really great potential. That would be my choice. What would be like the ideal platform for that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe PC, because you could go through every day through dialogue trees and you could get a handle on people's information and reset the next day. I, I would hate to play dialogue tree games without a mouse <laughs> and interacting with the environment and stuff. It's hard without a mouse. <laughs>